There'll be no attempts at guilt or manipulation or shame to try and get you to give more here at Grace. This is a series about the joy of giving. And if you feel conviction about your stewardship, which Tracy and I have been feeling a lot, and we believe there's a lot of conviction to go around here, we want that to come from the Holy Spirit and from God's Word. And we want that to lead to repentance that leaves no regret, because the Scripture says godly sorrow leads to repentance that leaves no regret. So and for all of us, I think there's room for us to feel convicted as we continue to walk through this somewhat difficult issue. I mean, you think it's difficult to talk to people about money? Why do you think that is? You know, why do you think it is it's difficult to talk to people about money? We're going to talk about that more today because we talked about it last week. But we want you to know, too, that we take our financial stewardship of God's money, it's all his anyway, very seriously here at Grace Fellowship Church. And we long for us together to experience deeper joy and greater freedom in our lives. So as we learned last week, that this fundamental connection uh, between our spiritual lives, our discipleship, and how we think about money and material wealth. Matter of fact, I told you last week that 15% of everything that Jesus said had to do with money and material wealth. That's more than what he said about heaven and hell put together. Now, many of us, we want to divorce our spirituality from our finances, and I think the reason why we want to do that is because part of us, called our flesh, wants to keep our worldly mistress. I'm going to say that again. I think the reason why we divorce these two is because we want to hold on to our worldly mistress and still be married to Jesus Christ. But God spoke about that very clearly in Matthew 6.24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Can you say that after me? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he caps it. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I want to say in our culture today, I think a lot of us, unfortunately, are serving money. But the truth is, Jesus Christ has freedom just around the corner for us. And I can tell you, I am being more radically freed in this area of my life than I've ever been before. At 57-year-old man, I'm experiencing more life and more joy and more transition in my marriage and our, and our, our family in terms of giving right now than we've ever experienced. So last week, we looked at some of the bondage that comes from being engrossed in the things of this world. We're going to talk about that more today. We also spoke about the freedom and joy that comes from having a generous heart after God's heart. So today, I'm going to talk in a little message called Compounding Joy. Would you be kind enough to join me as I pray for our time? Father, thank you that you are precious. <laughs> we thank you that by your grace, we are your children Father, we acknowledge before you the truth that we can never outgive you. We also claim to your gospel truth that no matter how much or how little we give, you love us and accept us the same through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you that that never can be taken from us, and nothing we say or do here on planet Earth can ever change that, because we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves. God, help us to hear your voice today. Guard our hearts and our minds from the evil one because we acknowledge that in this area, in this place, there are many of us who have been and are still sleeping. Awaken us together, Lord Jesus Christ, that your will will be done, that your kingdom will come more fully right here in this place, in our hearts, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, as it is in heaven. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. 
the one who gave everything. And all God's people said, amen. So in 2004, Tracy and I had the deep honor of traveling to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. If you don't know where Kyrgyzstan is, it's next to Kazakhstan, which you probably know where that is, right? No. It's in the former Soviet Union. It's in Asia. And uh, we had been called um, and, and honored to be called to help missionaries on the field with relational struggles in marriages and also among the teams. You know, at that point in time, and maybe still is now, it was the number one reason for attrition on the field was there were conflict, conflict among marriages, conflict among team members. And God had called us to spend some time in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, ministering to people there. And we were blessed to be able to take our three children with us. And I'll tell you, um, we were exposed to many cross-cultural experiences that we will never forget and that God branded on the hearts and minds of our children. So we're deeply grateful by the grace of God we were able to go. Kyrgyzstan is a deeply impoverished place, both financially and spiritually. They have struggled to rediscover their national identity as a result of, first of all, Soviet invasion. Their country was invaded and taken over by the Soviets. And then the Soviets just withdrawal. And when, the, when kind of that Iron Curtain, I think, is what you call it. Is that what it's called? No, maybe not. But uh, the dis- disillusionment of the Soviet Union, when that came down, Kyrgyzstan was kind of lost. It didn't really know who it was anymore. So we worked for an agency, um, worked with an agency that set up housing for us, and we stayed there for approximately one month. And that building right there is where we stayed. It was one of those grayed-out old Soviet buildings. Here's some kids on the sidewalk here uh, gathering plastic uh, for recycling so they can make a little bit of psalm a little bit of money. We had many incredible encounters and experiences while we were there, but I want to share you one of the stories that we had. You see, there was a park right next to this building, and we were told we could bring some Frisbees and footballs and other things because the children there have next to nothing, and we could play with them in the park, and so we did. We went out, and we played with them, and we met this beautiful family. Here's a picture of the mom and one of the children with a football that we brought and gave them. Uh, Here's a picture of dad and their youngest, and here's a picture of Gore. He was wonderful. We loved Gore. He just, he laughed so much and he had so much joy. And this family was so joyful. It was unbelievable. We couldn't believe how joyful they were in their poverty. It was just incredible. So we played with them. We threw Frisbees. We threw footballs. We didn't know how to communicate at all with them because I don't speak Kyrgyz. I can say Rachmat, which I think means thank you. Yeah. And then I learned a little Russian because they speak Russian and Kyrgyz there. And so I learned a little bit of it, but I... I didn't know how to communicate. So we would hand signal to each other and we would laugh a lot. And oh my gosh, so much joy, you know, that we had with this family. And they were completely enamored with our digital camera. This is an 04. So do you remember when they, the first digitals came out where you could see the picture on the back? And you could take the picture and then you saw it right away. And that was amazing to us, right? But when we went over there, we took a picture of this family and they were like, whoa. Like, oh my gosh, we can see our picture right away. And they were enamored, so we let them take pictures of us with our camera, and they were having such a time, and Gore was like taking pictures of everybody. And so then the dad comes over to me at one point, and he goes, he tries to sign to me. He's like, uh, how much does that cost? He's telling me, how much does that cost? And so I, right away, not without thinking very much, I, I um, translated to Psalm in my head how much $400 was. Because that's how much I paid for that camera. And so I got down on the ground and I took a stick and I scratched out on the ground the number of psalm that it was. And I looked up at their faces. They were all gathered around me to see if they understood. And it was the first time they weren't smiling. 
They were stunned into silence. And it was then I realized that I could feed that family for a year for what I paid for my digital camera. I could feed that family for a year for what I paid for that lousy digital camera. It stopped me in my tracks. I'll never forget that. Because it changed the way that they saw us, and it changed the way that I saw myself. That experience will forever remain in our hearts. (laughs) Tracy remembers it now. I want you to understand something. We as a culture are incredibly wealthy. We're incredibly wealthy. When I, when I came back from Kyrgyzstan, because we spent a month there, and I started telling people the stories of the poverty, they said something to me like this. They said, you must be awfully grateful for what you have. And my response was the same every time. I said, honestly, I'm disgusted by what I have. I couldn't go into Walmart for like over a month. Let me tell you folks, that's deeply impactful if I can't go into Walmart. (laughs) You know why? It just sickened me. It just sickened me, the amount of material wealth we have in this culture and how wasteful we are. And I was blown away that God was showing me something that he wanted me to see. Listen to what the scripture says here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So who's the rich? Who's the rich in this present world? Folks, it's us. Now some of you are going, Jeff, (laughs) maybe you preacher boy, but I'm not rich. I hardly make enough to survive. Can I tell you something? If you are surviving in this culture, you are rich. If you're thriving in this culture, you are beyond rich. Now, what I'm saying, generally speaking, and I'm not trying to make light of anybody's financial situation. I'm really not. I know that this hurts often for us. But according to the global rich list, which is a list that kind of looks at salaries and kind of compensation all around the world. If you make $32,000 in this culture, you are among the top 1% of global earners. I'm going to say that again. If you make $32,000, you are in the top 1% of earners in the whole entire world. You do know that the average household income in this area probably is between sixty and eighty thousand. You go down to Maryland, it actually bumps up to one hundred and ten, one hundred twenty thousand dollars. You realize that we are wealthy. If you have food in your refrigerator, if you have clothes on your back, if you have a roof over your head and a place to sleep, then you are richer than seventy-five percent of the world. If you have money in your bank or in your wallet, or if you even have spare change in a dish somewhere, then you are among the top eight percent of the world's wealthy. You see, we're not only wealthy here, but we are incredibly wasteful. I am, as I've been praying about this more, I'm getting disgusted about going into Walmart again. I'm happy. (laughs) I'm happy that that's the case. I grew numb once again after coming back from Kyrgyzstan for a month to the reality, the potential that we have. 
the potential that we have as the wealthiest people in the world, and I grew numb again to the sinful ways of our living. But I want you to know something. If the North American church itself gave 10%, we could solve world hunger. I'm going to say that again. If the North American church alone gave 10% of their income, we together could solve world hunger. Does that convict you? And it wouldn't just stop there. Our 10% would include things like clean water and medical care. If we just chose to live on 90% and give the other 10% away to, to, and to have it administrated somehow well, we could solve those problems together by the grace of God and for the glory of God. So this begs the question, why has so much been entrusted to us? I want you to listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is called the law of sowing and reaping in the scripture. And it is indisputable. You cannot get away from it. It's like the law of gravity. How many of you would prefer not to submit to the law of gravity? Anybody? It's causing your body to feel heavier and heavier the older you get. When you fall, you fall and you hurt yourself. Wouldn't you rather just defy the law of gravity? Anybody with me? But you know the law of gravity is not defiable. It's there. You have to submit to it. And can I tell you something? This law is the same way. You will reap what you sow. So the scripture says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of us should give what we have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Having all that you need, folks... Do you have more than you need? I can't imagine any one of us almost here not saying, oh my gosh, I absolutely have more than I need. You abound in every good work. Listen, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Can I tell you something? Generous givers know this, that their resources increase not necessarily so they can increase their standard of living, but they can increase their standard of giving. Somebody likes that back there. Go ahead and applaud. Who's applauding that? Somebody's applauding that. There's another one over there. Praise the Lord. We got two people who agree. That's a start. But you've been told here on planet Earth that when you get a raise, well, honey, we can increase our level of living now. Our standard of living can just go up, go up, go up and up because every time we get more resource come in, standard of living goes up. Now, by the way, there are people who do need to increase their standard of living at times, obviously. We're not knocking that. But what I am trying to say is that God calls us to give more as we get more and we are a wealthy, wealthy culture. Jesus Christ can use us to change the world. And he is 
But there's more joy to come. And God is calling us to respond to his, his truth, the truth of his word, that we will be enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion and that that generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So generous givers know they have been entrusted with much so that they can give much. Now, generous givers also know this other truth, that greater giving brings greater joy. Can you say that with me? Greater giving brings greater joy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasures for themselves. Sound familiar? Treasures for themselves. He's pointing back to what Jesus said as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's heaven and the new earth. Listen, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. How many of you want to take hold of the life that is truly life? How many of you have bought into the deception that somehow life can be found in stuff? Everybody's hand should go up. Because all of us have been sold this. Scripture says, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. Listen very carefully to me. Giving is the good life. Giving is the good life. And if you've bought into the lies of this culture that tells you the person that dies with the most toys wins, can I tell you something? The person who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> and they don't take any of it with them. And you know where it goes? A landfill. All of it ends up in a landfill. You want to take a good field trip this week? Well, I don't know how the weather will bear, but... Go to a landfill. Take your family. Put the kids in the car and say, we're going to a dump. <laughs> and I, I dare you to stand on the edge and look at all the junk and say, that's, gonna, that's what's going to happen to everything we own. It's all going there. It's going to rust and it's going to rot. But Jesus says, use that stuff, which is called unrighteous mammon, for the purposes of the kingdom. You see, this is what God is calling us to understand. If you stand on that landfill, ask yourself, is this what I was working for? Is this what I was toiling all those years for? That all my stuff ultimately would end up in a dump? Or am I able to see what God sees? That there's so much greater joy for me in giving back to God what already belongs to God. Listen to Ray Berryman. He's a CEO for a national municipal services firm. He says that he and his wife give away at least half of their income to God's work every year. That's 50%, folks. Ray says, my joy in giving comes from serving God in a way that I know he's called me to and realizing that what I give is impacting people for the glory of God. His wife says, it's exciting to know that we're part of evangelizing, discipling, helping, and feeding the needy. It just feels wonderful. Do you hear the joy in what these people are saying? Do you hear the freedom? Now, the culture would say these people are absolutely nuts. 50%? You've got to be crazy. Well, let's just turn up the rational insanity a little bit more. Rick Warren and his wife Kay pastor of Saddleback Community Church in Orange County, California, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. After he wrote that book, he and Kay made a decision immediately to not raise their standard of living one iota. 
They live in the same house they've lived in in Orange County, California since they planted the church. Praise the Lord. You know what he also decided to do? He decided to pay back Saddleback Community Church 25 years of the salary that they had given him. His salary for 25 years, he wanted to pay back to the church for 25 years. If I ever write a book, I would love to pay back Grace Fellowship Church for the, how many years of salary it is. That would just be so awesome, would it not? But guess what they decided to do? They became reverse tithers. Rick and Kay give away 90% of what they earn and they live on 10%. Does that sound insane to you? <laughs> that sounds beautiful to me. Listen to what Rick says. He says there's new meaning in the verses from Acts 20, 35. We must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Can you say that with me? There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Say it again. There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Make it your mantra. Why? Because it is the word of God and it is, is the truth. You have bought into something that I've bought into, hook, line, and sinker, that whoever has the most toys wins. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. You live the good life when you become a generous giver. Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. My wife in her Bible study this week went to the Greek and found this word. The root word of cheerful is hilaros, which is where we get the word hilarious from. How many people love to laugh? How many people have ever laughed to almost pee yourself? So many people laugh to actually till you pee yourself. No, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But you know what I mean? Like that belly laugh where you can't stop and you're like, oh my gosh, we've laughed that way with you guys before. We laughed that way with you guys before. Like just to laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. God says giving is not painful. It's a party. It's a party, man, and he wants to build on your giving in such a way that it begins to build on itself, and you become a nut for giving for God's purpose, and it throws you into joyful frenzy and makes you joy drunk on the Spirit of God, because you get to give for the purposes of God. How many of you want to be joy drunk? Right? The Scripture says, do not get drunk on wine, but get drunk on the Holy Spirit, do you know getting high on the Holy Spirit is so much better than anything you could ever get high on? Amen. Have you ever experienced the high of the Holy Spirit? Praise the Lord. And the high of the Holy Spirit comes to us. It's not like we rely on that high because we know at times we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We know that that high is not what we live for. But can I tell you something? If you want more joy in your life, you will learn the secret of the treasure principle and you will begin to give. You will be called a giver. Now look, you are most like God when you are giving. For that's what God did. For he loved the world so much that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him would not die, but would have eternal life. You see, God is a giver. Tracy and I are dreaming in ways that we've never dreamed before. I got online last week, and I made some significant changes. And it scared me a little bit. I was shaken. And I went to her, and I said, this is what I did. She goes, oh, praise God. She said, we just wasted anyway. That is an enlightened woman. She said, we just wasted it anyway. Let's just give it more to God. And I, I think that we're, we're shooting, we're trying. One day, we'd love to be able one day to live on 50% of what we earn. Wouldn't that be incredible? 
If you could live on 50% of what you are and give away 50%, would that not make you giddy? Some of you are saying, you are nuts, man. No, I'm not. Listen, say this after me. I'm incredibly wealthy. And say this after me. Greater giving brings greater joy. Now, you need to let God speak to you in the quietness of your time with him and let these truths go deep. Here's truth number three. God owns everything. We are his money managers. Now, this truth will set you free, okay? Because God, if he owns everything and everyone, then he is the one who is ultimately responsible for everything and everyone. This truth alone can be so liberating for your soul. How many of you live in a house? How many of you like to take care of that house? How many of you think that house is too much work? How many of you have stuff? How many of you take care of your stuff? How many of you get tired of taking care of your stuff? You understand what I'm talking about? The more stuff you have, the more responsibility you have. Everything you own belongs to God. You know John Wesley was, right? He was a pastor that founded Methodism. It was a holiness movement. I won't make any commentary I'm withholding. One time, John Wesley was approached by a distraught young man, and the young man shouted these words, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned down. After a brief moment of reflection, Mr. Wesley calmly responded, no, the Lord's house burned down, and that means one less responsibility for me. This affirmation, this was not denial, folks. This was an affirmation that came boldly and from a restful place that proclaimed that God is the owner of everything. Whenever you think like an owner, you are in a red flag zone. When you start thinking that you own the things that God has entrusted to you, you are now set up for trouble. You know why? Because you're ready to be engrossed by these possessions. You are ready to be owned by the things that you say you're own. You look to these possessions for security and significance. You look to your checkbook and your bank accounts and your stock market funds and all that kind of stuff. You look to that for your security. And can I tell you, we'll never find it there. It is only found in Jesus Christ himself. And when we act like owners, we are enslaved. I'm taking my hearing aid out. That thing's going back to the doctor. I don't like that. Here's another one coming out. All right, here we go. Now I can't hear you, so don't say anything. I heard that. (laughs) Look, we look to our possessions for security and significance, and when we spend countless hours and energy protecting and maintaining these things, we are now enslaved to them. I grew up in a little suburb of Philly called Levittown, PA. My dad and my mom, they loved the Lord, and I love them deeply. They're both home with the Lord today. And they were wonderful parents, and yet they had some pretty intense problems. Anybody say that about their parents? Don't say it if they're sitting next to you. Just... Because why? All of us are imperfect. Only Jesus is perfect. So my mom had some problems, and one of the problems she had is that she loved to collect pretty possessions. But unfortunately, she looked to them and idolatrized. She, she made them idols in her life. She, she looked at them for security, and she spent a lot of time cleaning them and protecting them. We had a living room that no one could sit in. When I got to be an adult, I had to remind my mom that was called a living room so you could live in it. 
But see, she had all these beautiful pieces of prize cut glass in there from Fenton, from Fastoria. See, I know all these makers' names because my mom would say them all the time. And I knew I wasn't allowed in the living room, but in the dining room, she had her most prized possession, which was a cut glass punch bowl that was made by some dude who died somewhere. And I guess it made this thing so much more valuable. So you weren't allowed in the living room, but you wouldn't even ever get close to that punch bowl. You see, it was high atop the credenza in the dining room, and there it was deified as an object of my mom's affection. Now, to be fair, my mom did love the Lord, but I have to say that punch bowl, it ran at close second. I remember as a kid, I didn't like that punch bowl. I didn't like the stuff in the living room, and I remember I had a dream once, and in the dream, I climbed up on a ladder, and I got the punch bowl down, and I took the punch bowl, and I called my mom out from her bedroom, and I said, we're going outside, mom, and she said, no, 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 and I took the punch bowl, and I held it in my hands, and I ran out into the middle of the street with her coming after me, saying, no, Jeff, no, Jeff, no, Jeff, and I threw it up in the air, and it smashed in the middle of the street, and I cried, be free, mom, be free. Some of you are going, oh, your poor mom. I didn't do this. It was just a dream. But you know what? It was a dream from God. What's got you? What has you? At any given point in time, this could be anything for me. Years ago, when we had built our house, well, not built our house, but we got our house in Stewartstown, I put down brand new, three-quarter inch solid hardwood oak flooring. Does that make anybody salivate with me? <laughs> I put it all down myself with a friend. I got some help, but I put it all down. What was I thinking? I had three kids, like under seven. And when I put it all down, they're running their cars all over it. And they're scratching it, and I'm like, oh, the hardwood flooring. And God says, who's more important, that floor or me? Who made that floor? Who made those kids? You see, what happens is we give ourselves over to the things of this world. 1 Corinthians 7 says this in 29, 31. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. We're just going to glance over that for now. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy if they were not. Listen, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For in this world, in its present form, is passing away. Are you engrossed with the things of this world? If you are, you are in captivity. And Jesus Christ came to set you free. So look, maybe you have a really nice sports car. I'm not talking about anybody I know in here. And maybe it's not even a sports car. Maybe it's just a new car. And you pamper that baby like you wouldn't believe. Uh, Frankly, I think that when we buy a new car, it should come with a hammer. Anybody with me? I would like the salesman to take the little hammer out of the case that he gives me and says, come on, we're going to go and set this straight right now. We'll put our first dinner in for you together, right? Boom, right there. But see, what are you babying? What are you engrossed in? What of this world has you? If that's true for you, you are in bondage. And Jesus has a word for you. He says, go and sell it. Give the money to the poor. 
Now look, if I didn't get taken off your Christmas card list last week, that phrase alone might push you over the edge. And if it does, you are engrossed in the things of this world. Is there anything that you're unwilling to give up for the glory of God? Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Because he will make more of it than you can ever imagine. And listen, God owns everything. And when you give it back to him, it loses its power over you. When you give these possessions back to God and say, God, it's yours, have your way with it, whatever it is, then the power is gone. Praise be to God that he is the one who sets us free. You see, God owns it all, and we are his money managers. I'm going to read a little bit of the parable of the talents to you. And I want you to listen very carefully to what motivated the money manager who didn't do so well. This is a story of three money managers. This is in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And in verse 14, I'm going to start. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, listen, and entrusted to them his property. Now, a steward isn't somebody who owns the stuff that they manage. They're managing it for someone else. So Jesus is telling this parable here in the context of the kingdom of God. He said, it'll be like a man who's going on a journey. He's talking about himself, who's called his servants and entrusted to them his property. He didn't give it to them. He just entrusted it to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to to another one, one each one according to his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Verse 18, But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. How many of you want to hear those words when you enter the kingdom of heaven? Well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, you have been faithful over a little... I will set you over much. Now listen to this. This is very important. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward. Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, this is a party. This is not painful. This is a party. God is celebrating with them what has happened as a result of them investing what he had given. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Circle that. Underline that. Highlight. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
But his master replied to him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has been given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. For the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. This is hard teaching. But I want you to understand something. What was at the root of, the, of the, the servant who had one talent and caused him to hide it in the ground was fear. Say this after me. Perfect love casts out all fear. Say that. Perfect love casts out all fear. Fear is what motivated the poor money manager. Check your heart on this one. We've been sold fear in bucket loads in this culture, and I believe that much of our poorest money management decisions are made out of fear. Fear of growing old and having nothing or no one to take care of us. Fear of what others think. Fear of looking old when we're growing old. Can I tell you something? When you're growing old, it is a good thing for you to look old. It's okay. It's not incongruent. When you're 60, you can look like you're 60. You know why? You get some wrinkles. At 70, you get more wrinkles. I'm not there yet. Anybody want to tell me amen? 80, maybe even more wrinkles. But what Tracy tells me is, what a beautiful face of character. You see, God (laughs) doesn't care about your wrinkles He cares about your heart. You know how much money we invest in our bodies alone? I read a book recently by a doctor called Embracing Mortality. He said that that doctors in large part see death as failure. So we do everything we can to prevent death. Met with a young man not too long ago. His mother-in-law had 23 malignant brain tumors. The doctors were zapping her with radiation, with chemotherapy, and they had turned her into a walking zombie. And he wept. And he said, she never would have wanted this. Do you know the vast majority of medical debt in our culture is incurred within the last six months of life? You know why? We're afraid of dying. Listen to me, child of God. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have no fear of death The scripture says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are going to go to heaven, and you are going to be better off than you ever have been before. You don't have to fear death. So don't manage God's money like you have to be afraid of dying or growing old or fill in the blank. Don't dig holes and bury God's money in the hole. Kingdom money works best when it moves. And God longs for us to be people who steward his money in such a way that he sees a kingdom return on it. You are wealthier than you know. Greater giving brings greater joy and freedom from God. And key number one, by the way, how many of you, did you get the key thing when you came in today? Take that out for me. It should be in your bulletin. There should be a little list of keys. Take those out. Key number one says, God owns everything. We are his money managers. Can you say that out loud with me? God owns everything. 
We are his money managers. These keys on this little piece of paper are taken from a book by Randy Alcord called The Treasure Principle. And we would love for you to be praying through these scriptures. On the back of your little handout, there's more scriptures that support each one. We'd love for you to be praying through these as we walk through this series. So look, God owns everything. We are his money managers. And the last point I want to make today is your heart always goes where you put God's money. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you ever wished that you were more interested in the things of the kingdom of God? Have you ever wanted to be more like interested? Have you ever wondered why you so easily get sucked into material temptations that are all around you and you miss thinking about things that are eternal? You may not be interested because you are not a big enough stakeholder. Now let me help you understand this. You don't wait around until you're joyful to give. You give back to God and then the joy follows. You don't wait around to become joyful to give. You give first, and then the joy comes afterwards. I'm telling you again, I'm experiencing this real time. But let's say today that you get a hot tip on some Apple stock. I don't know how many of you are Macintosh fans. It doesn't really matter, but say you get a hot tip on some Apple stock. So you go out, and you sell half of what you own, and you invest it in Apple. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you would have any ongoing interest in Apple stock once you do that? Well, yeah. I mean, you would be looking on the internet. You would be talking to your broker. You would be looking in the Wall Street Journal, checking the web, doing all these things. And when that goes up, when that Apple stock goes up, you get excited. Why? Because now you're invested. I don't care about Apple stock. You know why? I'm not invested in Apple stock. But if I were invested, I would care about it. I would get excited when it goes up. Can I tell you something? The investment prospectus for the kingdom of God is incredible. You know why? Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against him. Do you understand that your investment in his kingdom is the soundest investment that you can ever make? Why? Because he is building his kingdom. And the evil one will never prevail against him. I can tell you something, too. I really believe God is doing incredible things here at Grace Fellowship Church. I think he's changing lives by his grace and for his glory. Hundreds of children every Sunday being discipled and impacted for the kingdom of God. Would you please give a round of applause for Jesus Christ in Grace Kids? Come on. Hundreds of students. Hundreds of students on Wednesday night. No, stop, don't stop. Round of applause for Jesus Christ and the Awakened Gang. Hundreds of men and women. Hundreds of men and women in their respective ministries. Life recovery, helping folks like Hank Hunt to heal and find God's place again. Now look, you can stop for a second because I want you to hear. Lord's Gym sees over 2,000 people a month. That's a free gym. You know how many people have come to the Lord at the Lord's Gym? It's incredible. You know why? They can come there and build relationships. Over 2,000 people a month. The Harvest Food Pantry provides groceries for 80 families of poverty every month. That's 300 people every month. They distribute thousands of food items that are going out. The Harvest Cafe serves 680 hungry people every month, all free of charge for the glory of God. 
The community closet provides clothing and housewares to 250 guests and families every month. Adopt-a-Block serves 100 to 150 people every week in the streets of York, here in Shrewsbury, and in Stewartstown, and hundreds more come to their special events. Do you know that Grace Fellowship Church owns a house in Salem Square in York? Do you know our teams are up in that house? And do you know that house is identified as belonging to God? And do you know people go to that house when they want help? Praise be to God. Praise be to Jesus. All of this is being done in the name of Jesus Christ and more. I could list our international partners. I could list our regional partners. But I want you to understand something. This is a party. And God has given us so much joy in seeing what he has done here at Grace Fellowship Church. But if you can hold on to your seats for one more minute as I call the worship team to come out, I want you to hear what's going to happen. What we're trusting God for in this year is that he's going to expand the dream. Now, this is too much to really take in. But he's going to expand the Harvest Cafe and the pantry. We're going to trust him to actually put a Christ-centered psychotherapy unit right here on the hill where people can come and get counseling. We're going to trust him for senior living for up to 60 seniors in that old giant supermarket that we have down there. You know why? There are people in their older years that don't have enough money to even live anywhere. And God wants to meet that need. Why? so that we can pull them into relationship and so that God can woo them with his love into the kingdom. You see, this is what God is calling us to do together. And he's calling us to be part of transforming the entire region and the world. The question set before us is, will we join him to a greater extent? This is what I want to set before you today. On February 16th and 19th, that little piece of paper, take that out, called the uh, Treasure Principle Keys... How many of you signed the Peacemaker's Pledge? We're going to ask you to sign this document the same way. This is going to be mounted on a big piece of plexiglass. We're going to have it here in the uh, worship center for two weeks in a row. And we're going to ask you to prayerfully be considering these principles to commit yourself to for the kingdom of God. You're not signing anything that's saying you're giving a certain amount of money. You're not signing anything that's committing you personally to anything other than you agree with God's word. Now next week, Next week, we're going to talk about heaven, and we're going to talk about tithing. Now, one just excited you, and the other one scared you. It's okay. God loves you. And if you love him, you want him to change your heart. I know it's scary. It's scary for me right now. The elders have confessed. We're scared. This is really rattling our cages. But we're trusting Jesus Christ to guide us into the next season of joy for the glory of God. Let's stand together and close our time in prayer. We have some special guests coming in. I'll tell you more about them next week. But on the 16th of February, we're going to be taking a special offering. And we'd like you to prepare your hearts and your minds to participate fully in that time. It's the beginning of a new season of generosity for Grace Fellowship Church. And we'd love for you to pray about bringing a one-time over and above gift or for you to start a new season of giving in your life on that date. Whatever it might be, you don't have to do either. We just want you to be praying and trusting the Lord to lead you. Father, thank you so much that you are a faithful God, one in whom we trust. Thank you, Lord, that your generosity knows no end and that you are the greatest giver there ever was. Lord Jesus Christ, deliver us from ourselves from our idolatry 
and teach us the freedom of giving. We thank you for your faithfulness, and we pray this all in your precious name. And all God's people said, let's sing one closing song together.